the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. I personally believe a lot of Christians bring, bring government turmoil upon themselves because they're not respectful, because they think they have a right if the government passes a law that's inconvenient to them, to disobey. That's not what the Bible teaches. If we are going to be persecuted for our faith, let's make sure it is our faith and not our preference and not our personal rights and not our convenience. Elizabeth Elliot told a childhood story about her brother, Thomas Howard. Their mother let him play with paper bags that she had saved if he put them away afterwards. One day she walked into the kitchen to find them scattered all over the floor. Tom was out at the piano with his father singing hymns. When she confronted him, he protested, But Mom, I want to sing. His father, who had apparently been unaware of Tom's failure to do as his mother told him, said, It's no good singing God's praise if you're disobedient. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse and another Bible class of the air taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Many churches and untold thousands of individual Christians believe that they have been called by God to reform our government and our society. We will see today from God's Word that social reformation was not the goal of Jesus or of Paul or anyone in the first century church. God does not call us to reform anyone or anything. He calls us to reconcile men and women to their Creator and God. In Acts chapter 5, the high priest had ordered Paul to be hit in the mouth. Paul, not knowing the man was high priest, rebuked him for breaking the law. But as soon as Paul learned the man's identity, he apologized and said, It is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Let's continue the lesson from that point. Our text is Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Here is Pastor Steve. Now here was a ruler who was ungodly. Here was a ruler who broke the law. Here was a ruler who struck Paul in the face. At least he ordered someone to do that. And Paul just blasted him. But when he realized what he had done, Paul said, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five, he says, I've been thrown in jail. I've been beaten. I've been whipped. I've been mistreated. But you know what? That didn't change Paul's view. Not of the government. Someone might say, well, sure, when Paul wrote Romans 13, nobody had done anything bad to him, but give him a little bit of time and he'll see how corrupt government can be and how he'll justify that we'll disobey the government. Eight or nine years later, Paul had opportunity to write about the government again. He had been beaten at this, by this time. He had been thrown in jail. He had been falsely accused by his own government. And towards the end of his life, eight or nine years after he wrote Romans 13, and several imprisonments later, Paul wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 3, verse 1. 
Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. The end of his life, after he had been mistreated by his own government, the government he taught that the people ought to respond to, he said, honor them, be obedient, speak well of them, respect them. You see, submission, and First Peter speaks of this, submission is not just that I, that I obey the laws of the land. It's that I do it with an attitude of submission. It's that I honor those in authority. You see, the church, in my opinion, today is so busy trying to make this a Christian nation that we've forgotten to act like Christians. And so we don't honor anybody. I mean, we think we have the right to be rude to people because we disagree with them politically and even morally. So the general principle of a Christian's response to his government is submission, it's obedience, it's respect, it's honor. But the inevitable question, which Romans 13 really doesn't deal with, but which the rest of the Word of God does, is how far do we take this? Are we to obey in an unlimited sense? Is there ever a time where we are justified in disobeying the government? The answer is yes. There is a time. And only one time. Only one category in consideration. And that's when the government commands us to do something that the Bible forbids us to do. Or when the government forbids us to do something that the Bible commands us to do. In other words, if the Bible and the government conflict as far as what they say we must do in, in obedience, then we must obey God rather than, than man. If the government commanded you to lie, you don't lie. If the government ordered all pregnant mothers to abort their babies, you don't abort your baby. You say, but they'll kill me. So they kill you. Better to be killed and to be obedient than to live and be disobedient to the word of God. If a law was passed commanding us to kill older people who are useless to society, we don't do that, regardless of what the government says. And there may be a time in our government where it'll reach that kind of proportion. Is there any biblical support for this? Is there anybody in Scripture who disobeyed their government and was right to do that? Yes, there is. The most familiar, that, that uh, the one that we're familiar most with, is found in the New Testament, but I don't want to get there yet. I want to show you some other passages of Scripture. And uh, Exodus chapter 1. You may not be as familiar with this as you are with Peter and John when they said we must obey God rather than men. But in Exodus chapter 1, the Egyptian ruler was getting a little bit nervous because the Jewish people were having a lot of babies. And before too long, there'd be more Jewish people than Egyptian people. And so in Exodus chapter 1, verse 15, then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. One of them was named Shiprah, and another was named Kua. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it's a daughter then she shall live. In other words, kill male children. But the midwives feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but they let the boys live. Now, they didn't have a written revelation from God. They just knew by their conscience and the, their inward sense of what's right and wrong that they were not to kill anybody in a murderous way. That's the first incident in the Bible that I'm aware of where civil disobedience is, is justified and is done. 
But Daniel in the Old Testament is another great illustration of this. Daniel was a godly man. In fact, uh, only he and Joseph in all the Bible, apart from the Lord Jesus, obviously, are the only Bible characters that there is nothing written against them, nothing even implied against them. Now, we know they're sinners. We know they were sinners, but they are righteous men. They are totally blameless. In Daniel chapter 1, Verse 5, the king appointed for them a daily uh, ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. And the, the setting is this. Daniel and his friends have just been taken from Judah. They've been made basically slaves in Babylon. And the king says, you're going to eat my food and you're going to drink my wine and I'm going to educate you. Now, they can handle the education. But they couldn't handle, Daniel could not handle eating non-kosher food. Daniel could not handle eating food that the Old Testament law said, you shall not eat. And so he couldn't obey. But I want you to notice that Daniel was not rude. Daniel was not abrasive. Daniel didn't fold his arms and said, I'm going to sit here and I'm not going to budge until you do what I want you to do. No, he's very courteous. Verse 8 says this. But Daniel, he made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. And, and the story goes on that he gives him an alternative. Why don't you just feed me the, these vegetables and, uh, and water and, and see if I don't look better after a while and healthier than the others. And they agreed to that. But notice Daniel... He didn't badmouth anybody. He didn't say, listen, the king ought to read his Old Testament and find out a little bit about morality here. No, he didn't do that. He was a model citizen. Even when he couldn't obey the laws of the land, he still respected the government, even when he couldn't obey it. In chapter 6 of the same book, Daniel is trapped by some jealous government officials. And by this time, Daniel is in government, which also says that a Christian can serve in government as long as he doesn't compromise. And he has integrity. Not everyone is called to that, but if you're called to that, it's all right. Joseph, the other godly man, served in, in government too. But in Daniel chapter 6, some men trap Daniel, or they trap really the, uh, the king. It seemed good to Darius, verse 1, to appoint 120 uh, satraps over the kingdom, that they should be in charge of the whole kingdom. And... Um, over them, three commissioners of whom Daniel was one and so forth. Daniel's in a high government officials. But some come to him and say, now, king, why don't you make it illegal for just a month that anybody who prays to a God other than you or doesn't, doesn't worship you, he needs to be thrown in the den of lions. Well, the king, thinks, that's a good idea. I mean, he's an unsaved man, a pagan man. Sure, who wouldn't? want to have, have worship directed towards me. But they don't tell him that, that Daniel is such a godly man that three times a day he faces Jerusalem and he prays towards the God of Israel. So they, the, the king passes this and they had the law of the Medes and the Persians, which meant whatever was passed could not be taken away. You've heard of that expression. It's the law of the Medes and the Persians, which means it's, it's sealed in concrete. You can't change it. Even if the gover government wanted to change it, they couldn't. And so the king is trapped because they come in upon Daniel, and Daniel knew this was in effect. And what did he do? Well, the scripture says, he signed the document in verse 9. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, now it's a government law. It's a law of the land. In fact, the law of the empire. When he knew this, 
He entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Why didn't he change? Because he wasn't about to disobey the word of God. That's why. No matter who told him to do otherwise. They found Daniel, verse 11. They say, aha, caught you. And the king is just heartbroken over this. In fact, he can't sleep all night. And in verse 16, the king gave orders. Daniel was brought into the and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. I don't know if he totally believed that because he couldn't sleep at night. He was worried. And in verse 19, then the king arose with the dawn at the break of day, and he, he went in haste to the lion's den. And when he had come near to the, the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Now Daniel has been tricked. Daniel has been thrown into a, a den of lions to be killed. You would think that he would say, what do you care? Who are you? And he would have been, I mean, today's Christian would have tried to oust the man from office. But what does Daniel do? Daniel spoke to the king and said, oh, king, live forever. In spite of the fact that you, that you signed a silly, dumb law that would have killed me, live forever. What respect. See, I want you to understand that even when you disobey and have to disobey the government, it's not a call for us to, to be disrespectful for the government. It's not a call for us to dishonor the government. And these were pagan governments. Rome and, and uh, Persia, pagan, lawless, ungodly. And yet Daniel showed respect. The third illustration in Scripture is found in the book of Acts. I'll just give you the references. In Acts chapter 4 and then in Acts chapter 5, Peter and John are preaching the gospel and uh, the council comes together and, and they say, listen, you cannot do this. You can't go speaking in the name of Jesus around here. And you know, in essence, what Peter says, he said, look, you decide whether it's right for us to obey you or God. But listen, we have decided we're going to obey God rather than men. Now that, by the way, doesn't give you justification to preach the gospel at any time. But it does say that when God's word says you are to proclaim the gospel and the government says you must never under any circumstances do it, you're to obey God. And yet I want to say by, by way of application, there are times when you, you should not proclaim the gospel, when you're at work under your, your, um, your boss's time, when you're in other uh, areas where it, it, it would be uh, the wrong time to proclaim the gospel. But in general, in principle, we cannot keep quiet. We cannot say we're not going to witness and share our faith because the government says you can never do that. And they just, they just went on obeying. The only time we have a right to disobey the government is when by obeying the government, we would be disobeying the word of God. And I might add, not only do we have a right to do this, we must disobey it's not just an option. We must disobey the government if it would mean, by doing what they said, disobeying God's word. Georgie Vins is a believer who has lived for many years under the communist government in Russia. And when asked at a time by a group of leaders in the church, how do you respond 
to a government like that. You know what he said, and I quote, we obey every law in our nation, whether it appears to be just or unjust, except when we're told that we cannot worship God or obey the scripture. But if we are persecuted, put into prison or killed, it will be a result of our faith in Jesus Christ, not because we violated some law in our nation. I personally believe a lot of Christians bring, bring government turmoil upon themselves because they're not respectful, because they think they have a right, if the government passes a law that's inconvenient to them, to disobey. That's not what the Bible teaches. If we are going to be persecuted for our faith, let's make sure it is our faith and not our preference and not our personal rights and not our convenience. We are living at a time in history when the United States is changing from a nation that is based in large part or has been based in large part on Judeo-Christian ethics to basically humanistic paganism. But we are still called to be model citizens. That doesn't change even if our government does. Now, we should speak out against sin. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's right to do that, but still submit and honor those in government. Even if you disagree with someone in government and you can speak out against those things if it's based on the word of God and not your own political views, even if that's the case, we are still to honor them, even if we don't agree with them. You see, one of the reasons Christians have so much trouble with the government is that we don't know what the role of the church is, quite frankly. And I believe a lot of ministers have prostituted the calling of teaching the word of God to try to change the government and make it a Christian nation. And I might add that nations are not Christians. Only people are. Just like Christian bookstores. No such thing as a Christian bookstore. Just a bookstore. Individuals are Christians. We try to change this and make it a Christian nation, and yet the Bible doesn't call us to do that. There's nothing in the word of God that says that. The church's calling isn't to change society, it's to change the inside of people. And eventually, their outward behavior will change, and society will change. But we aim at the inside, not the outside. Ultimately, people change through preaching the gospel, not through morality, not through, through Judeo-Christian ethic laws. We are to be the conscience of the nation, not through our laws, but through our godly living and through preaching. And I don't mean just standing here in the pulpit. I mean through your proclaiming and, and living the life, not by lobbying and political protest. When Jesus came into the world, was it a democratic world? Absolutely not. He came into the world of non-democratic principles and governments. Caesar was the absolute monarch. Slavery ruled the day. Taxes were exorbitantly high and they were unfair like the poll tax. The Jewish people were an oppressed minority. Did Jesus challenge the political system of his day? Did he ever do that? No. He never sought and spoke of political change, even though it was totally corrupt all around him. He never attempted to oust Caesar or even eliminate slavery. He said to pay taxes, and he didn't lead a revolt against Rome. You see, Jesus understood that the real issues of life were not economic. We're not political, but it's the gospel. It is not that he wasn't concerned about social injustice. It's not that at all. It's just that so the social orders of society are outward structures. That's all. They're outward structures indicative of inward problems. And the solution to the problem is not changing the outward structure. Then what do you do? You just have a change in outward structure. The real hard issue is inside. It's internal. And that's the way we're to carry on the ministry of Jesus today.
That he's the model, he's the example. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, we are told to pray for those in authority. And the context is to pray for their salvation. It is not just to pray that they have wisdom, though I think that's good, that's right. But the context is, when the church gathers, it gathers one reason to pray for all men to be saved, and especially those in government position. Why? Well, because those in government position influence the way the gospel goes forth in, in society. I mean, the gospel itself will bring opposition. But why have more opposition from the government? Pray for them to be saved, government leaders, so the gospel might have free access throughout the Roman Empire and throughout our day, so that we might live, Paul says, a tranquil and quiet life that others might see us live out godliness in their society, and they might want Christ. See, the burden is salvation. Paul did not say in 1 Timothy 2, when the church gathers, pray for the removal of politicians because they disagree with you. He didn't say that. He didn't call for us to fight them or protest against them. He called for us to pray for their salvation. Because when men become Christians in high positions of authority, it makes the spread of the gospel that much easier. And God is interested in the spread of the gospel, not in making people outwardly moral. God wants the gospel lived out before people. Listen, God is interested in saving people, not making the world a better place to live. I close with this. What if every, don't close your mind, this is very, very important. What if every law in our land was based on the Bible? Think of that. If we had our way, and let's say we turned it into a quote-unquote Christian nation. What if every law and every politician based things on the Bible? What if that happens? You know what? All it would mean is that we would enjoy the comforts of life a little bit better and men and women would still go to hell without Christ. That's all. It just means we'd have a little more convenience and, and it, would, uh, it would flow a little bit smoother and life would be a little bit nicer for us. But the end result is that men and women would still be lost without Christ regardless of whether they obeyed the, the outward morality of our society. God's heart beats for the salvation of the world, not external conformity to moral standards in America. What happens in America is not synonymous with what happens to Christianity. There's a vast world out there of persecuted Christians who live out the gospel and the implications of the gospel and obey their governments, and they live in a corrupt, ungodly government. Romans 13, Paul is saying that Christians aren't to be identified as political troublemakers, but as submissive citizens, models of obedience. That's what you and I are called to do in every little area, whether it's convenient to you or not, whether you think nobody is watching, we're to drive properly, we're to pay our taxes, we're to honor the civil authorities. Why? That's next week. And that'll give weight to this. Because Paul gives a number of reasons why we're to do this. But I want to say this. If he never gave any reason and just said, do it, we ought to do it. So your homework and my homework is to obey, is to obey the government. Let's bow for prayer. Are you obeying the civil authorities? Or is revolution on your mind, at least in your heart? The world is lawless. We are to be law-abiding. There's just so much time and energy and resources to give. Let's give it where it counts the gospel. Let's not hesitate to speak out against immorality, but let's also be respectful of those in authority over us. We'll see next week it's because they are in the place of God and we don't disrespect God. And 
We've been speaking about submission today, but if you've never trusted Christ, this is foreign to you because you first have to submit to Christ before you can submit to the, an institution he has established. You need to trust him as your savior. That can be done right where you are. Put your confidence in him. Trust that he's paid for your sins and that all you need to do is rely upon his death for your salvation, not your good works to do that. Amen. Pastor Steve Kreloff will have more to share about the Christian response to government when we meet again for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel, and these radio versions of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We're on the web at versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to order a CD or a cassette with this entire three-part message, please call us at 727-239-0306. Abraham Lincoln spoke well when he said he did not want government of the people, by the people, and for the people to disappear from the earth. But ultimately, God is the one who sets up governments. We will consider that on the next Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse. Praise Him, ye heavens of heavens. and Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.